This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. I am on a solitary one-man mission to collect the craziest story you have in your arsenal, Mike. What, what is the story that gets you free drinks at the bar? Because people are just like, there's absolutely no way that actually happened to you. You can follow me on Twitter at Keith R. Conrad. And of course, remember to like, rate, subscribe, whatever you can do to spread the word about this here podcast and help more people find out about it. Now, one person who actually does have a really interesting story to tell is William Kelly, a five-year-old boy from Florida. Now, young William sank a hole-in-one on hole 13 at the Bridges at Spring Tree Golf Club in Sunrise, Florida, during a golf clinic last week. I hit a seven iron and it took two bounces off the fairway and one bounce off the, uh, the green and then it hit the flag and, it, and then it went in. Remember, he's five. Mike, uh, Williams' golf coach, praised the young boy's skills. We all ran down the fairway, and there it was sitting in the hole. It was an unbelievable moment. You know, some people play golf their whole lives, never get a hole-in-one. Five years old, going on six. Williams' feet came to the attention of the Sunrise Florida government, which hailed the impressive young golfer in a Facebook post, and that's pretty much how the world found out about it. Now, one person who has also sunk a hole-in-one in his day, I, I think, is my friend Matt Peralt. Matt is the host of Pushing the Odds, weekdays 1 to 4 Eastern on uh, SB Nation Radio. And he and I worked together years and years ago in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. And he has a story or two to tell. Thanks for joining me, Matt. Well, happy... Well, first, before I say... I appreciate the invite, but first... Happy getting married, man. Getting married during COVID-19. Unbelievable. Uh, congratulations to you and your lovely bride. And uh, how is married life treating you so far? Uh, so far, it's been great. Uh, things haven't haven't changed much because we're still somewhat on lockdown here in Illinois. We're like somewhat limited as to what we can do. But uh, but it's it's been great. And, you know, it, it may not have gone the way we planned it, but it was definitely memorable. And that's oh, really yeah. I mean, my goodness, those stories you guys are going to have are going to tell. It's, it's incredible. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's incredibly unique. It's so 2020. I mean, I, I love the idea of, of getting married this way and, and, and take it from someone who's been, bar- been married now for whatever, seven, eight years. Uh, it was a whole lot of work and you guys avoided a lot of stress. <laughs> to do yeah, and uh, I think over a thousand people have watched it now. So that's way more than would have seen our, our actual wedding if, if, you know, it had gone the way we planned. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. And it's timeless too. I mean, you just, you just have it. Like, I mean, we, we actually don't know where our video is for our wedding. Like, it was because it was done. It was done on, 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 it was dubbed from the person who shot it. They put it onto a CD and this was right when the transition happened from video oh, yeah. to going away. And so I don't have a CD-ROM player in my house. And so I was always like, oh, we got to keep this. We got to keep this. And then lo and behold, now it's gone. So I, I don't even know. I don't even know where my wedding video is. So you guys have that digitally saved forever, which is awesome. Yeah. Until like, you know, there's some EMP attack or something and we lose the entire internet. <laughs> right. Exactly. Other than that, we've got it forever. 
<laughs> don't tempt 2020 and they go through it. So, so that, if that did happen, I would probably have a near-death experience, but uh, you've actually had two of them. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the, with the one that happened the longest ago. So I, I've had two experiences where I nearly died. And the first is in college. So I went to school at UMass Amherst. And so I am somebody who uh, I, I loved going to school out West. It was a lot of, in, the, in the Western part of the state, I should say, not West, but I, it, <laughs> I was born and raised in Boston. So it was, it was out West to us. It was three hours, two and a half hours away. Might so, as well be LA. Yeah, pretty much. In, in, in my mind at the time at 18, yes, it pretty much might have been. So when I was in college, I was living with two of my friends who were – one was a Met fan, one was a Yankee fan. And so we had awesome rivalry talk and we had awesome bang, you know, banging on each other all the time for different things. And so the Red Sox were playing an interleague game against the Mets. And I don't remember the year exactly, but it was either my freshman, sophomore, or junior year. I can't remember. I was, friends with, I was roommates and friends with these guys for three years. And I ended up – Saying to my friends, "Hey, look it. Let's go to go to go to Fenway. You guys have not been to Fenway before. Let's go to an interleague game and let's go watch the Red Sox and the Mets. And this would be a lot of fun to go. And so we get into my at the time. I'm going to say it was a 19. So this was I was in college in 90 from 96 to, to 1999. Those four years. I think I had a 91, 92 Jetta." It was about like six, seven years old. It was not brand new by any means. So the air conditioning in this vehicle didn't work great. This was in the month of May and it was a, you know, it was a pretty hot afternoon. And, and so we're driving on the Mass Pike. And as we're driving on the Mass Pike, it, we realize it like it's pretty warm. And so we're like, all right, let, let's roll the windows down. It's, it's a beautiful day. We're heading to Fenway. We think everything is wonderful. And we're all kind of, you know, we're young people. So we're, we're enjoying ourselves and just getting ready to go to Boston. And so we're on the Mass Pike, windows down. All of a sudden, this bird comes out of nowhere. This bird swoops down and nearly goes inside of my car. So we got wow. four windows down. We're on the Mass Pike. We're going pretty fast, probably 65 miles per hour. Here comes this bird. And it like whoops in, nearly goes in, and then flies away. And we're both like, all three of us are like, oh my gosh, did you just see that? That's insane. That bird almost went into the car. Well, I don't know what happened, but the bird distracted a truck driver in a wacko way. And I don't know if this bird was on something or what, but a truck driver decided with a Mack truck decided that it was time to change lanes without looking to see who might be in their blind spot. Oh, wow. So the Mack truck goes over. We're going down a hill now. It's 65 miles. I'm going 65 miles per hour, windows down. And this truck comes over. And I'm looking to my left, and all I see is this gigantic wheel. This guy, we're going down a hill, and on the right side of the embankment on the Mass Pike, if you guys have ever been on it, but there's it's basically it's an elevated downhill type of highway. A lot of a lot of, as you go down from the the Berkshire Mountains down to Boston, it's basically going from the, you know from mountains all the way down to the seacoast. So it's almost all downhill. On the right side, there is just a fall off. I mean, just an embankment that just goes down for, I don't know how many feet down. So I'm watching out of the corner of my eye. I'm watching this truck come and I'm like, there's no way this guy's coming over. Well, he didn't stop. And he ended up hitting us with his right front tire. 
And all I remember hearing is the sound of a can opener, the worst, most horrific can opener you could ever hear, as the the, the, the bolts on his tire ripped through the door I, I was driving. So wow. he can opens the door of my door, and I am frozen with fear going, oh, my gosh. So as the guy hits me, I don't know what took over myself, my body, but eventually I said, okay, I'm not going to jerk really far away because I know the wall is on my right, and I know the embankment is really a far drive. So I kind of let him slowly guide me off of the road as he's ripping the door open. And so I just kind of slowly come to a stop and I am literally shaking because as we come to a stop, I then get the look of if I had just bounced off of the car to look down and it was about a 500 foot drop. I thought it was just like a a hill. It was actually a bridge we were on. So (laughs) if we had gone over the embankment, all of us are dead. There's absolutely no, there is no surviving. <laughs> there is nothing to do. We're falling off of the of the cliff and we're dying. So the truck driver comes to a stop about half a mile down the road, and he gets out of his car and he starts walking towards us. And I'm like, I'm not talking to this dude. I'm not. So my friend calls nine one one. Is like, we we've been in an accident. We're all okay, but like this truck driver is coming at us. We don't know what's going on. The police showed up about a minute and a half later. I, and luckily, they just we must have been near a barracks or something because the guy never got the half mile to us. The police kind of zoomed in. They do a full entire like check on this guy, and he fell asleep. Like the bird had nothing to do with why he came over. He just fell asleep. And the, and I'm like, was he intoxicated? They're like, we don't believe he was. I'm like, was he on drugs? We don't believe that he was. I'm like, how do you fall asleep driving a Mack truck? Like you're driving a Mack truck. How do you fall asleep? And so the guy's and like, how does that happen immediately after this bird shows up? That, that's, that's <laughs> insane. So like, we're like, um, all of us are just like kind of dumbfounded. We're all white is like, is, is like we almost just died. We're all looking over the embankment going, Matt, if you had jerked the wheel, you would have flipped over <laughs> that barrier. And the world. Yeah, anybody would do that. Like in, in that situation, like you would just naturally do that. Yeah, we're all just like you know frozen with fear, and and then our fear tur- our fear turned to anger because then we went like, wait a minute, what? So you're telling us that the bird didn't distract you? That you you what? You fell asleep and you almost killed us. And as we went back and replayed it, one of my friends who was in the back seat said, "I heard you guys hear that whooshing sound," and we're like, "No." Well, this is like from NASCAR now that I know this, but if you put two vehicles close together and one's bigger than the other, they actually get drawn together due to, due to I, I forget the exact term of it, but basically it's a suction that pulls your vehicles together. Mm-hmm. So you end up, that's how NASCAR drivers bang into each other all the time because when they get door to door and one goes to an embankment, if one's higher than the other, you end up getting pulled together. So it wasn't entirely the dude's fault because he didn't see me, but then physics got involved and we got pulled together. But... I got home and what we realized you could see through my door, like the can opener literally opened up a direct hole through my door in my car due to the front wheel of that Mack truck. Yeah. So, Cause those trucks on the, on the wheels, like they have those bolts that actually stick out significantly further than, uh, than they would in a car. Yeah. And, and sometimes this one didn't have one of those like ridiculous kind of like truck nuts, but it's like those, those sharp edges to the, mm-hmm. to the nuts. This didn't have that. This just had like the rounded version of it. But 
it was still enough at going 65, 70 miles an hour. It still was enough to can open my V, the, the, the door of my 1991 Volkswagen. So I hate Mack trucks and I never drive next to them. <laughs> and, I, and I refuse to drive. And yeah, I think that would scare me away too. Yeah. Yeah. I, so th- th- that scares the hell out of me. So the other time where I almost died, and this is something that, well, I love going to concerts. And concerts for me have been therapeutic and have been incredibly helpful in a variety of times in my life as I've bounced around this country in radio, sometimes just needing to get steam and blow it off by going to a concert. And so Dropkick Murphy is being a Bostonian that I am really because of 2004, because of the song Tessie, if you guys never heard that song, uh, you know, any Cub fan, Keith, you understand this, you know, in, in terms of like the connection you feel to the, the team and then the music attached to it, it's all kind of one big whole happy family. And yeah. so in 2006, the Red Sox win their World Series in 2004. I'm in, I'm in Huntsville. I'm by myself. It's where I met you. I'm, 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 you know, basically like trying to find my way through this, you know, amazing experience living in a place that no one cares. And so I'm like, my team won the World Series first time in 86 years. Everyone's like, we don't care. And so <laughs> I, I, I moved to Omaha, Nebraska uh, in 2005. And then the next year, the Dropkicks are doing a tour. So Tessie's the song and it's a big deal. So in 2006, they go to this club, which it was in an old church. And the AC was very limited. The ground was very, very wet. <laughs> And Tessie comes on. So I, I mean, I'm 43 now, but this is 15 years ago. So I'm like 30, 31. I go crazy. I go into the mosh pit. I get absolutely annihilated. And as I'm leaving the, the mosh pit, thinking I'm in the clear, some dude hits me from behind. And as I fall forward, I put my hands out trying to stop myself. The ground is sopping wet, just like a layer of sweat. My hands hit like a slip and slide and I go all weight right onto my left shoulder. Pops my shoulder straight out. Dislocated shoulder. <laughs> my shoulder's hanging out and I'm pretty drunk. And so I'm kind of like staggering around. I want my shoulder back in. This dude stops me and goes, hey man, your shoulder's out. I'm like, I know my shoulder's out. He's like, I'll put it back in for you. I'm like, okay. So That's I, a great idea. <laughs> right. So I stand up against the wall. This dude rears his hand back, trying to punch my shoulder back in like it's lethal weapon. And all I see is my friend who's six foot six dive at this dude. And like he grabs him and goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, I want my shoulder back in. He's like, dude, you can't punch your shoulder back in, you idiot. He's like, we're in the hospital. I'm like, okay. So he, he helps me out. And this is the drop kicks. So there are three ambulances already in front of the venue. <laughs> so they were anticipating people having to go to the hospital. I get in the, I get in the ambulance. I'm in the most pain I've ever been in, in my entire life. I'm just absolutely, you know, screaming in pain, basically. And so every bump, every, I mean, if you've ever been in an ambulance, they don't have shocks. So like every bump, everything is just like killing my arm, killing my shoulder. We go to the hospital. We go in, I, I they, they take a look at my arm, like, okay, we have to you know, reset your shoulder. And then literally at that moment when they're examining me, all hell breaks loose. The hospital I went to was actually the trauma hospital that night. There were two in Omaha and they alternated either, either night. So it was the trauma hospital. There was a gang war that night in Omaha. And so like five kids all come in with life-threatening bullet wounds. Matt goes to the end of the line. <laughs> like they don't care oh, wow. about me anymore. And so I'm sitting there for two and a half hours with my shoulder out, spasming, twitching, just 
insane pain while I'm just lying there. I'm lying there. So by the time they come around to give me the medicine in order to put my shoulder back in, it's been out for so long that they're nervous that they're not going to be able to give me, they're going to give me too little. So what ends up happening is they gave me too much. Now in the room are my three friends who went to the concert with me. I go unconscious. So I don't know any of this. I don't hear, this is all secondhand now. I have no clue what happens, but they give me the medicine and they wait for it to kick in. So they all walk out. Well, they gave me so much that I stopped breathing. So as the, the machines start going beeping like crazy, like you see in the movies, one of my friends opens the door and says, hey, is this supposed to be happening? The net, another one of my friends realizes I'm not breathing and he screams, you guys got to get in here. He's not breathing. So I didn't breathe, I guess, for about a minute. I wasn't breathing. And you can hold your breath for a minute. It's not that big of a deal. But I was essentially, you know, coding <laughs> on, on the table yeah. because they gave me so much. So they all come running in and they realize, oh, my gosh, we have to give him something to go the other way. But in the meantime, let's put the shoulder in. So I got one person administering drugs to wake me up. I've got the other person, I guess, yanking on my shoulder to go ahead, <laughs> go ahead and put my shoulder back into place. And I come to about, I don't know, 10 minutes later and all of my friends are completely like shaking, going, I don't know what I just witnessed, but I almost watched my friend die on a table in, in the middle of a, of a hospital with gunshot wound victims everywhere. And all we wanted to do was go to a damn concert. <laughs> That's all we were trying to do. See, so, I thought you were going to say that the dude from the concert who was going to punch your shoulder back in turned out to be the doctor. So your, your story ended up being very different from what I thought. Yeah, no, it wasn't like that. It was just craziness of like whenever Tessie comes on and my friends in Omaha will like send me messages or whatever going like, yep, you almost died to that song. <laughs> like, yep, I almost died to that song and I don't have any real memory. Like I remember the truck driver and I've got a scar in my brain from it, but I have no memory uh, after they gave me the drugs. I have no memory of any of that that happened in the hospital as to where I went. So, I mean, it's one of those things of like when you die, what happens? I mean, if I had died, I wouldn't have known. Like, you just shut the lights off. Goodbye. Like, that's it. <laughs> so it was, yeah. So those are the two times I almost died. Well, I'm glad you survived uh, both incidents. And uh, when you top them, I hope you'll come back and share that story. I don't want to top them anymore. I'm 43 and I got a kid, man. <laughs> <laughs> just wrap yourself in bubble wrap and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's that's um, when you're in your 40s. That's what you got to do, right? To kind of live through this crazy lifestyle. And, and well, with COVID-19, wrap yourself in a mask too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for sharing your story, Matt. Well, thank you for having me, Keith. I really appreciate it. If you think you can top that story, shoot me an email at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com. I think a couple brushes with death will be somewhat hard to top. Gabatron.